0: So as we all know, cats hold a very special place in our hearts, and many cat parents aspire to provide them pretty much the best life that they can. And today we have with us Dr. Rachel Geller. She's a surrender prevention specialist who's dedicated all of her time and effort in assisting cat parents in navigating the ups and downs in terms of feline parenting. And she's joining us today, and she is going to share her knowledge and her experience with us. I just want to say thank you so much, Rachel, for coming. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you. And before we get started, I just want everyone to know a little bit about your background. So we know all the stuff that you do and the credentials. It's very long. Everyone, please get with me. I need a cheat sheet for this because it's so long. I'm so impressed. Okay. So she has a doctorate degree in education and she's also the founder and president of All Cats All the Time, Inc. I love that name, by the way, which is a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to promoting the adoption of cats and preventing their surrender and abandonment by helping cat or animal shelters and cat owners who can't otherwise afford to do so and assess cat behavior counseling free of charge for the cats in their care. She's also Certified as a cat behavior and retention specialist, humane education specialist, pet chaplain, fear-free shelter specialist, American Association of Feline Practitioners, cat-friendly veterinary advocate, and Red Rover reader. She's currently a cat behaviorist for cat and animal shelters all over the world, including working with adopters, training shelter volunteers, and instituting surrender prevention programs. She also provides individual cat behavior help to cat parents. We're in for a ride today, everybody. (laughs) Okay, so I'm just going to go right into the questions. So can you just tell us a little bit more about your background and experience in the field of cat surrender prevention? Because that term is relatively new to most, if not all of the people that I've ever asked. As you said, I'm a certified
1: cat behavior and retention specialist. And what this means is that I not only work with the cat to sort of identify and solve cat behavior problems, but I work with the owner as well. I help that owner understand what's going on, why it's happening from the cat's perspective. So often the human perspective is very different with, than what's going on in the cat's mind. So trying to help that cat owner look at the problem from what the cat is seeing and how the cat wants to solve that problem is really often very eye-opening for the owner, and once we get past that, I can usually pretty quickly solve the cat behavior problem. Cats have their own way of looking at things that are very different than the way we look at things, and my experience with doing this is everything from working with shelters, training shelter volunteers, training shelter staff. I give a lot of lectures. I give a lot of webinars. I give a lot of Zoom interviews. I've developed many courses, such as the one you took on Surrender Prevention. My overarching goal with all of this is to keep cats who have a home in their homes and to do it without any financial barrier. So people who want to keep their cats can keep their cats in their loving home that they already have. And that's really important to me. When I first started doing this, the first year I put it together, I tracked it and I kept over 345 cats in their homes who would have been surrendered. And that's when I realized I was really onto something, that these problems that are fixable and solvable, if we could just let people know and get that information out there, we can really save so many lives. Last year, I kept over a thousand cats in their homes.
0: Oh, wow. That's a lot. Like When you first said 300 and something, I was like, that's almost a cat a day. Okay. And then you said a thousand. (laughs) Wow. Kudos to you. I definitely feel what you said, because a lot of these things overly simplify. They People always say in a jokingly way, it's, it's usually a human problem. But I feel that there's a grain of truth in that. It's not only that, uh, there's a huge commonality in terms of what we do is we tackle things that are highly preventable. And sometimes it's just that education that makes the world of difference to the cat. Second of all, how do you define Cat surrender prevention and why is that important to you? I know you you mentioned it a little bit about it, but I just want you to go a little bit deeper, if you may.
1: So my definition of surrender prevention is that it's really a process mm-hmm. that reduces the number of cats who are going to, going to be given up or surrendered by their owners due to behavior problems, and these behavior problems are generally solvable and fixable. And so the goal is keeping cats who already have a home in their homes it's all about empowering educating the owner or the shelter or whoever needs that help to solve the problem and keep the cat in her home the thing with this is that with surrender prevention we really save two lives the cat who already has her home stays in her home and this opens up another slot in a shelter where we already have too many cats and not enough Shelters. So by keeping cats who already have a home in their homes, we're freeing up space in the shelter for a cat who truly is homeless. And that's why this means so much to me is that every time we save a cat from being surrendered, we're able to save another cat who doesn't have a home at all. And to me, that's just very powerful. I think part of surrender prevention, I would be not doing my job if I didn't say that a big part of being a surrender prevention specialist is having empathy, having compassion, being non-judgmental about the person who's coming forward with the problem. Really, when you're working with that person who wants to surrender, size up whether this person has any financial limitations, time limitations, patience limitations, because all my great advice is not going to go anywhere if I don't understand where the person is coming from first.
0: Actually, that's a very interesting thing that you said. I always jokingly tell my subscribers every time I hand a foster cat or some cat that I rescued or somebody surrendered to one of my friends, when I hand them to their new family, it feels like I'm handing my daughter to her future husband. And I'm kind of vetting him out. It's like, do you have the resources? Do you have a job? Are you the only son? What kind of stuff do you have at home? Do you have inheritance? That's kind of exaggerated but you get the idea. And sometimes yeah, yeah. people are like, is that kind of excessive? I'm like, no, not at all. If you're to marry off your daughter or fun, actually you would think the exact same thing. Now, why is it so different when it's a pet or a cat? I completely resonate with that. As funny as it sounds, when you plug in human into that equation, suddenly things make sense.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yes. I need to know, I'm not going to suggest a technique that takes maybe four or five weeks to really get under your belt. If the person is saying I only have two weeks, if the person says I'm low income, I'm not going to say, well, gee, your problem could really be solved by having seven cat trees. So you want to match what the person to your advice.
0: Yeah, there's a Cantonese saying, um, since like way back, my grandma was telling me, "It's called meaning rich people have a way of raising their children and poor people have their way of raising children. She always says that because we didn't come from like a rich background. She was like, we had all of you and you all grew up with a great life and you guys had an education. So you seem to be fine. <laughs> My grandma had a great element of truth in what she said. Now, and another thing is how do you educate and empower cat parents to provide the best care for their pets? And what resources do you typically recommend to them? So Whenever a person comes
1: to me with some type of a problem, the most important thing to really develop that relationship and to really be able to help the person throughout this whole cat behavior process is to really understand where that person is coming from, what that person has been through, and the challenge that this particular person may face. I think that when somebody's surrendering a cat, for example, due to litter box problems, it's not going to be helpful if I don't understand what the person's going through like cat pee is really smelly cat pee (laughs) is very very hard to get rid of so you want to empathize with that person you want to be able to say yeah i get it cat pee is really really yucky and i understand what you're going through being non-judgmental having empathy and being able to communicate with that cat owner is really the foundation of a successful cat behavior program cat surrender prevention program One of the things I really go through with people is to understand what's happening from the cat's perspective. So going back to the litter box, so many people say to me, well, I don't understand why he's not using the box. He has a nice covered box. The box is all the way over here. He has plenty of privacy. And so we're putting a human need onto our cat. We want privacy when we are in the bathroom, but your cat necessarily does not really care about privacy at all. Your cat actually wants the opposite. Cats Mm -hmm. feel very vulnerable when they're in the little boxes. They want a clear visual field all (laughs) the way around them. They're in a very vulnerable position when they're in that box. And if the box is covered or the box is in some remote part of the house, the cat is just not going to feel safe.
0: Mm -hmm. The
1: worst part of a covered box is, say, there is an invader or an opponent, and these can be real or imagined. It can be just part of the cat's instinct. With a covered box, the only means of escape is right into that invader space. We really need to look at what's going on by what meets the cat's needs and not the human needs. And they can be very, very different things. I think it's important for people to understand that if a cat is doing something that we look at as wrong, if she's not using the box, if she's scratching on everything except for that lovely scratching post that you bought for her, cats don't think in terms of right or wrong the way we do. If the cat's using the box, it's because it meets her needs. If the cat's not using the box, it's because something or someone in her mind is preventing her from using that box. So they're not doing it to bug you. They're not doing it to get spider revenge or Mm -hmm. any of those things that we tend to think as people. They just have some logical reason why that box isn't working for them or that scratching post isn't working for them. And they're trying to solve their problem as a cat not as a person so when we can kind of get past that barrier i really feel like that we're
0: we're on the right track right wow that was definitely a mouthful but you know what when you mentioned that it is very true because a lot of times as humans we're very good at complicating things (laughs) and the older (laughs) we get it seems like the better we get at it sometimes even if you ask like a very complicated question to a small child And you get the funniest responses because a lot of times they just simplify it and just answer in the simplest way ever. And sometimes you get some really profound answers that seem to be true. And I think that's kind of true in this situation too, because a lot of times we just apply what complications we apply to it, which is not only not accurate, but it just makes everything worse. I definitely feel that. And that's kind of what happens when I'm designing people's cat lifestyle, be it just from the designing of their place or designing of their lifestyle. I'm like, don't think about anything too complicated. Let's go back to square one when we're going to the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And see if <laughs> any of those have little gaps, that's not satisfied yet. And, and then that's when people are like, oh, but it's satisfied. I'm like, no, 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 no. Let's just go back there and let's just double check and see if there's anything that's not met. And before you know it, there's usually something. And now, always, another always, Always, there's, always like, as confident as people say it, I'm like, no, 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 let, let's just do it just for my sake. Let's just do it so that I feel we're on the same page. But I, that's always a very interesting conversation.
1: It is. It is. You know, it and is. I get it. You know, we do share a lot of emotions with our cats. So hmm. I completely understand why we put our needs and our human perspective onto them. But when it comes to cat behavior, we really need to figure out from the cat's perspective, why isn't that? litter box being used? Why isn't that scratching post being used? I see all the time people buy like these little short carpet covered scratching posts because that will match their decor in their living room. But typically (laughs) they're too short. The cat doesn't want to have to crouch over. They don't have the right material for sloughing off the claws because it's carpet. So we really need to think about what are the cat's needs and how can we best meet those cats needs. And typically then the behavior problem will resolve.
0: There was this one client of mine. I was trying to explain that concept to her because it was like a minimalistic place that she was having. So she didn't want to have that many cat stuff in the house. And I'm like, that's fine, but I need you to try something. Can you fold your yoga mat in half and just do your usual routine in there while putting that in a box? She's like, what do you mean? Find a box the size of half of your yoga mat. I need you to fit in there and do your usual yoga move. She's like, I can, but why would I? I'm like, exactly. You're (laughs) asking your cat to do the same. They can, but they don't want to. And they'll find something that's more comfortable. Now, another thing is, what are some red flags or some indicators early on that will give you a feeling that somebody might surrender their pets now or somewhere in the future?
1: The number one red flag for me
0: Hmm. is if
1: it's a couple and one person really wants a cat and the other person isn't really so sure or being dragged into the whole thing. So, you know, both participants aren't really really invested in wanting this cat that is a red flag because invariably the cat's going to do something the cat's going to pick up on the stress or unhappiness or i don't really care about you vibe that Mm. she's getting from the partner who didn't want the cat they will pick up on that and then i just find if one person wants the cat one person doesn't big red flag the other Mm. red flag is when someone comes to me and they say they want to give a kitten or a cat to someone as a gift.
0: Oh, those are the worst.
1: That's the worst gigantic red flag right there. Mm-hmm. I or, mean, there are
0: success stories, but it's much more rare in comparison.
1: Yes, it's just something I keep in the back of my mind. Um, say the number one red flag for me is the language or the words oh. that people choose because words matter. Mm. So when someone is convinced that a cat is spiteful, is revengeful, is mean, is doing things on purpose. That is like a huge red flag because this person has no understanding of her cat's needs, no understanding of a way a cat communicates, and the words she uses are really defining the cat in a way that is not helpful to the cat
0: or the person. Right. It's like that in human relationships too, when, because I have a psychology background and it's the same when we're observing people like in counseling, when you're not talking to them, but you're watching them interact in the waiting room and the language that they use with each other. Sometimes it doesn't even have to get abusive, but it paints a pretty good picture about the positioning of that person in their lives and how much they respect the other person. It says a lot, doesn't it? It does. If you're saying that your cat is attacking you, what does that really mean? It sounds so
1: aggressive, right? Mm. But maybe often i will find out this cat's not attacking. If the only stimulation in this poor cat's life is your ankles and you walk <laughs> by, then you might get a bite or nip on your ankles. So figuring out what the person is saying and why they're choosing certain words when the words are all really negative mm. and um, you know, it sounds like they really just have given up on this cat, you know, that's a big red flag.
0: I read an article somewhere. Someone mentioned it's not just that. It starts when they name their cat. Some people use some pretty derogatory terms or even profanity in naming their pets. I was guilty of that when I was a kid. One of my cats, I called him a bad boy, but he's actually the, the best kid ever. But in Asian culture, when a grandma calls us a bad kid, they actually meant the opposite. So it's being overly humble. And I remember uh-huh. that to this day. I was like, why would I call my cat a bad boy? <laughs> It just puts me in a really weird state too. When I say it, it's almost like a surprise that he's good and it's normal when he's bad. No, that's not something I would recommend. Yeah, now, yeah. In, another thing is what advice do you have? Now we mentioned about some of the red flags, but how about the opposite? What advice do you have for especially new cat parents to help ensure that their pets will have long-term success and happiness with their parents? Yeah, when
1: you first bring home a new cat, those first few days are so important. Because Mm. the cat's going to be terrified. I always tell people when they tell me, oh, the cat's hiding. I say, if you were put into a cage and brought (laughs) to a strange place and put into a room with nobody that you knew, Mm. put it in perspective, you'd be calling the police. So try to understand that the cat's afraid. But the Mm. most important thing to get that relationship off on the right foot or the right paw is to start off your cat in a very, very small room. Mm. cats like to be in small places they feel more safe and they feel secure and just dropping your cat off in the middle of your living room if you live in a large home or even an apartment or condo is going to be way too overwhelming for that cat people Mm -hmm. always say to me i don't want to leave that cat in a small room all day so again placing a human need on the cat Mm -hmm. we may not like being in a tiny room but your cat is going to feel so much safer so much more secure And now you're going to be able to bond with your cat, because if you plop the cat into a home that he doesn't know, his chances are he's going to run and hide somewhere Mm -hmm. and you're not going to be able to work with the cat. So starting off in a small room is really, really important. Go into that room as often as you can. It's not a prison cell. It's an opportunity for the cat to calm down and relax and feel safe. Mm -hmm. So during this period, it's so important that the cat's in a safe room, a small room, but you go in and visit and spend time with that cat as often as possible. Mm-hmm. The big thing for having a good relationship with your cat is let the cat set the pace of the interaction. Yes. Go at the cat's pace. Don't always reach for the cat. Let the cat come to you first and maybe sniff your toes. In these matters, it's always, always, always the best thing to go at the cat's pace. It may take a while. It may take several sessions of feeding your cat, playing with your cat, sitting near your cat, but it's so important to just go at her rate. Mm -hmm. When you follow the cat's lead, the cat will see that you understand her, and the more the cat sees that you understand her, the better things are going to be. So Mm -hmm. this is the time when you can really bond with your cat, follow her lead, engage in play, feed the cat, just be there and hang out. A great non-threatening gesture is to have something in your hands and then have your eyes on that item in your hands. So go into the room, bring a book, bring your laptop, update your Facebook on your iPhone, do some knitting, whatever, just hang out, be with the cat in a non-threatening way. Um, And just remember if the cat's hiding, if the cat seems afraid, that's okay. That's a cat's way of coping. So let her cope and just be there for when she starts feeling a little braver. She'll probably come out and sniff your feet. Mm-hmm. And when she does, keep it light. Mm-hmm. Act like it's no big deal. Give her a little pat. Use your voice in a soothing tone. She'll definitely understand.
0: The interesting thing is I didn't have that as a kid. I just like, had one tone screaming until I got older. I was like, you know what? There's, that tone is very powerful. And a lot of people don't realize it. And what we just mentioned right there in the past few minutes, if we actually took out the question, it sounds like dating advice.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. Yes. Right. Every cat right, you're right. Just like people, we all enter into a new relationship at our own pace, right? Mm-hmm. Some people are more shy, some people are yeah. more outgoing. Yeah. Same with the cat. But oh, the definitely. best thing to do is you always want to err on the side of caution, right? So you're better off going a little slower and mm-hmm. letting the cat get used to you than trying to push it. If oh, you definitely. do too much to the cat too soon. The poor baby is just going to be terrified. And that's not how you want to start off your relationship. Of course not. The biggest, biggest, best advice I can say is go at the cat's pace. Don't pull the cat out. If the
0: cat is hiding, let Mm -hmm. the cat come out when she's ready. Definitely sage advice, not just for surrender prevention, but it's also very good dating advice and how to have a great relationship by starting off on the right foot. It's so
1: true. And sometimes they do make jokes because. Sometimes mm. when I'm working with people and their cats, I work with them to let them see how to set things up so the cat makes the decision mm. and the cat has control. And often with cats, the best way to help is to let the cat think that it was all her
0: idea. And they will <laughs> yes. say this works on my husband too, by the way. So it's I true. hope he's not watching. Please <laughs> don't watch this episode. <laughs> In addition to that, I also feel that positive association, that tone. I guess in human terms, it would be the candlelight dinner and all the cool dates that people go on. But for for me, people ask me, it's like, how do you cats get along? I'm like, they all do. It's like, have they ever fought? I'm like, no. When they came? No. When they first came? No. Because every time when the new guy comes or if there's anything, or even if there's a conflict, when you can feel that somebody's growling and something's about to happen, I usually whip out something that's like their favorite thing. I was like, hey, look what we got. (laughs) So everyone just kind of, Got distracted and they're like, oh, goodies. So it, yeah, it became yeah. a party instead. And that is silly as it sounds, but it's the same for people, right? Like maybe you feel weird about a friend's friend, but every time they come over, like everyone just brings beer and they got brownies and they got chips. You know what? I like seeing this guy. <laughs> yes. Distraction and redirection works equally for cats and people. And combined with that positive association, recipe for success.
1: So important. Yeah. Using your voice in that soothing, loving tone is so important to cat.
0: They don't understand
1: the word, but they're going to understand your meaning.
0: Oh, yes. And even when my parents saw my interaction with my cats, it's like, Mel, I didn't know you can talk like that. Do you talk (laughs) to your boyfriend like that? I'm like, no, no, but cats, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so now another thing I want to ask you is, Can you share any particular success stories or examples of how your work has helped prevent the cat surrendering and improve the lives of cats and their cat parents?
1: Yeah. First, I'll give you a stat and then I'll answer exactly what you just asked. Not only improving the life of the cat, but Mm. the cat parents as well. So I work with a lot of shelters instituting these surrender prevention programs. One of the shelters recently that I worked with who was tracking their surrenders told me that the surrender numbers went down from 7% to 2%. That's huge. That's huge. That's a lot of lives being saved. Yeah. But I often help a lot of people who are really in distress when it comes to their cat's behavior. And I think you mentioned this before, but it's important to remember that whenever there is some type of suffering Mm. going on, on the other end of that is often the family pet. And that could be a cat. But recently a woman contacted me and she was crying Just, I'm sure you're not going to help me, but I want to reach out to you anyway. You, there's probably nothing you can do. So she had cancer. Oh. She has several small children. So she was completely terrified, exhausted and overwhelmed. Yeah. And in midst all of this, she had an older cat, a senior cat, and she was feeling guilty because she felt like she couldn't give the cat enough attention anymore. So I let her talk. I did most of the listening. That's okay. That's part of surrender prevention. But eventually I said to her that, look, you're stressed because you're sick. And I understand how you feel. But your kids are going to feel even more stressed and more upset if they lose the family cat at the same time.
0: Oh, yes, definitely.
1: I reminded her, you know, that cats are very perceptive and loyal animals. And that cat was part of the family. So if the cat didn't get the same amount of attention, for a period of time because this woman was battling cancer that's okay that cat's part of the family and that's oh. what families do and i really wanted her to understand that the cat would surely prefer to give up some attention temporarily rather than to leave her family permanently oh. and i think really this woman just wanted to be reassured right. so now she was just really sobbing and she said to me So you think it would be okay for me to keep your cash? And I said, well, first of all, I realized she really didn't want to give up the cat at all. Hmm. She wanted to do what she thought was the right thing by the cat, but Hmm. she just didn't know what that was. So once she had reassurance, and I worked with her to show her how she can have some very easy to implement ways to enrich the cat's life without her always having to be there. She said, oh, thank you so much, Dr. Geller. Really wanted to keep your cat. And I'm so happy that I can keep my cat. So here's an example of where the cat didn't lose her home, the kids didn't lose the family cat, and the woman felt less guilty and that, you know, that she was able to, whatever she could do was okay during this temporary period. So Mm -hmm. things like that are just so important to me because it's not always just the cats or just the people. It's cats and people together.
0: Oh, definitely. That's that's why it's going back to what we said before. Sometimes it's that switch in language as well. As soon as you switch the way that they describe the situation by showing them what's really happening and what they can do, then suddenly the way that they look at it can be very different.
1: Words definitely matter. Empathy and compassion. I feel like if this woman had just gone to a shelter, maybe people hadn't gone through the surrender prevention program. When someone calls up to surrender their cat, I feel like a, a lot of people at shelters, and I'm guilty of this too, before I learned all about surrender prevention, is hmm. you get very judgy. You get very judgmental. You feel like if somebody wants to give up their cat, that they really don't care about their cat. But yeah. usually it's a long, very bad road before the person calls a shelter just to say they want to surrender their cat. And that's all we know about the person, is they have a cat and they want to surrender the cat. We judge that person thinking, why are they doing it to their poor cat without knowing their situation and what they've yeah. tried or not tried or what stress they have in their life before they got to that point. So we really want to be understanding, caring, non judgmental. And I feel like the fact that this woman came to me, they mm-hmm. can provide that passion and understanding and be there for her, got her to think about it in a different way. And she kept her cat. And I think with surrender prevention, that's something that we can start doing more yeah. looking at things with a new perspective. When yeah. someone calls and says, I want to surrender my cat because it's peeing all over the yeah. house, instead of thinking, oh God, we don't want this cat in our shelter who pees everywhere and we'll never get this cat adopted. Let's focus back on what's happening, figure out what's going on at home so we don't get to that point.
0: And a lot of times, some of the stuff to execute is actually not that hard, surprisingly. Once they find the right tools, it's actually not that hard.
1: Surprisingly, yes. Often not. I have solved cat behavior problems by saying, take the lid off the litter box, add a box, get a bigger scratching post, have more vertical space. A lot of times it's a small fix, especially the longer this problem has been going on, they may have pressure from parents or roommates or spouses, you know, Mm -hmm. and it just, it can spiral and be very difficult for somebody when they're not getting the right support. No, oh, of course.
0: Just last week someone was telling me about some litter box issues the cat had. I was like, Are you sure they like the scent of your litter? Because I can smell it like before I walk into your house. Are you sure your cat can smell it? Because their what sense of smell is about what 14 times better than ours? Yeah. I'm like, why did you try the neutral And then that person called me back two, three days ago and they're like, Yeah not peeing anywhere else anymore. I'm
1: like, (laughs) ha ha. Another example of a human convenience or a human way of thinking that's not good for the cat. We may think of wanting to spray a fragrance spray after we're in the bathroom, but cats don't want a perfumey litter. They want something that resembles what they had outside. And the last time I checked, the outdoors and the soil wasn't scented with a lovely perfume. Plain, unscented litter is the best. There are so many human conveniences that are bad for cats. So even those plastic liners,
0: oh, we yeah. like them
1: because we can just scoop it up and toss. But they shred so easily. Anyway,
0: anyway. <laughs> they're not really that good. They're
1: not. No, they're
0: not great because
1: they can get their claws stuck in the plastic. That can cause the urine to pool. It's kind of yucky. That's just going to be a huge reason for litter box aversion, right there. Yeah. Again, oh. a human convenience placed on our cats.
0: I mean, we could go on forever, but it's the same when people initially train their cats to use the human bathroom. And when they got older, they started falling in because they have arthritis. They don't want to jump on. It hurts to jump on and off. They're like, how come my cat isn't using the toilet anymore? I'm like, maybe it hurts. (laughs) It's not comfortable.
1: Right. Another reason why that's such a bad idea. What happens if your cat is ever sick and has to save the vets? God forbid they ever have to end up in a hospital or an overnight at the vets they're not going to know what to do with the litter box because they've always used the toilet. And that's going to really freak your cat out and probably not not make the veterinarians too happy either. But yeah, best to keep it as natural as you can. A Definitely. litter box with a litter in it that has a soft, sandy texture that resembles what they would have outside and is mm-hmm. not scented.
0: And people always say, oh, Mel, that's so crazy. Why would you have this like poop espionage? I'm like, That's what you do. How do you know the health of your cat if you don't look at the excrements? As cool as you might think that, it's out of the way. But when I say that you can't see it, that's a bad thing is because you need to see it. Not all the time, but when you need to, of course. No, it's good to observe, yes. Yes, definitely. Another one, just my last question. I want to know, how do you stay current on the latest research and the best practices in terms of cat care and surrender prevention? And also, how do you continue to grow and develop in that field?
1: Well, as someone who has a doctorate, you're probably guessing that I like to learn and I like education. So I'm always, always, always taking courses and getting certified in different aspects of cat care and cat behavior. And I take on a lot of roles in research projects and grants that focus on cat welfare because that's a great way to learn too. You're part of a study. You're part of a research team. I frequently say yes to those requests so that I can continue to grow and think about other aspects of research that are part of the cat advocacy and cat welfare. Mm. So, like right now, participating in a grant project through the University of Massachusetts, looking at older people who live in independent living. And when they have cats, how that affects their health, their well being, their getting up and doing things. If you think about having to clean a box or play with your cat, that extra activity, what positive effect might it have on an elderly? Adult. So that kind of stuff really interests me and it keeps me fresh. It keeps me part of new research that's coming down the pike and new ways of thinking that are coming up next. I write a lot of courses, webinars, lectures, and every time I go to do something, I'll often like do a little bit of research or think about what I'm doing or think about the population that's going to listen to what I say. And that's a terrific way to stay current with participating in all these different webinars and seminars and courses, and so forth. I also sit in a lot of advisory boards for Mm -hmm. cat welfare organizations, and again, they're developing policies, they're looking at different ways, methods to save cats, and that's another super way to learn from others, be part of emerging ideas in the cat welfare world. I just joined an advisory board, actually, where they're looking at a program where we have cats as support animals, as emotional support animals, and how to connect people who may be of autism or special needs or anxiety mm. with a cat. Just being involved in that type of stuff is always adding to the pool of knowledge, and I love being part of that. So that's, those are really the ways that I always stay current and keep myself fresh and keep learning. It keeps you fit in the mind and physically just chasing the cats around too. Well, right, yes, absolutely. It's interesting that you think about playing with your cat. and I give that advice all the time. Play mm-hmm. with your cat in an interactive way with a fishing pole toy, yeah, but that means you have to kind of stand up and walk around and engage in some type of activity, mm-hmm. and for older people, that may not always be so easy. But if we can work with them to gain those skills and to make it part of their day, that's a great way for someone who's maybe older and inactive mm-hmm. to now become more active while also having the company of a loving companion cat.
0: Oh, definitely. That was the case for one of the cats that I rescued and went to one of my best friend's sister. And long story short, her father-in-law had a stroke and the doctor was saying why the recovery was slower than expected. And it turned out he was just depressed and at home and stuff. So they moved back with the in-laws and they brought the cat. Except for she strategically left left the house right before the feeding schedule. And she was calling her in-laws like, oh, I forgot to feed the cat. But really she remembers like the cat food was right there on the counter. Like it was just a can that's waiting to open. Her father-in-law would complain it's like, oh, how could you be so forgetful? He wouldn't spend his time getting off the couch and just walk over there, open the can, wash a dish after. <laughs> and then after, was it three or four months? And then when they went back to the doctor, it's like, okay. That recovery was quite fast in this period of time. What happened? So it turned out that activity, it just builds up over time and it gives them the confidence and the companion as well. So it really helps.
1: Yes. Yeah. So working on all these different projects and research and grants is really my favorite way to stay current because Mm. I'm learning, but I'm also contributing to new knowledge in the field of cat welfare and cat advocacy as
0: well. To all of our audience, you know who to turn to. If there's anybody, if you want to be preventative about it, or if you can smell the red flags, can feel it, smell something's coming, then you know who to turn to. Thank you so much for being with us today, Rachel. This is very helpful. We can go on forever. And there's just so much to learn from you. I really do hope to see you again in the future for another session. This is really good stuff. Thank you so much. I'm always happy to come back. Awesome. Thank you very much. And I won't hold you up any longer. And everyone, we'll see you in our next episode. Laters.